1: You are listening to Squid and the Ultimate Leafs fan.
2: Hello, Canada and hockey fans of the United States and Newfoundland, and an extra big hello to Canadian servicemen
0: overseas.
2: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Squid and the Ultimate Leafs fan, brought to you by the Hockey News. With over 2 million dedicated readers, the Hockey News, established in 1947, is the authoritative source of hockey and the number one hockey publication in North America. With an ever-growing podcast network and video database on top of an already-established print and digital brand, The Hockey News is there to cover all major hockey stories from around the world. Visit THN.com slash deal to get the best value on a subscription to The Hockey News. I'm Mike Wilson, the Ultimate Least Fan, and with me as always, my winger, Ricky Squid Vibe. Squid, how are we doing today?
0: Uh, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, playing 18 this morning, and uh, it, it's a beautiful day out there, other than the wind, but uh and I think the next five or six or seven days are going to be outstanding. So uh, I'm looking forward to that.
2: Well, you know, some of us are working inside here, working on, you know, questions <laughs> and, you know, you know, research and stuff like that. So <laughs> speaking of which, let's just test you here on this. Like a couple of events here on my, uh, we may add this to a little bit of a future going forward uh, with our shows. November the 7th, 1988 is a sort of infamous day in leaf history with the trade of Russ Cortnell to Montreal in exchange for John Kordick and a six round draft choice that ended up being Michael Doors in the 1989
0: draft. Yeah, that, uh, I was gone by then. Yes but, you were, thank uh, goodness. <laughs> yeah, and I gotta tell you, probably one of the worst trades, I think, probably if you went through Leaf history that the Leafs probably have ever made and, uh, you know, not. I mean, I know Russ didn't get along with Brof and, and that sort of thing, and Brof wanted a little more toughness, more than likely. Yeah. But uh, at the end of the day, you know, you make that decision, That that's a pretty poor decision, I think, made by the people at the top.
2: Boy, oh boy, man, you know, this one's been, beaten to death. So <laughs> thank you, everybody. <laughs> it's one of those ones I have to just mention, Russ Courtney and you don't need to say another word. And I think the rest just sort of speaks for itself. But on a cheerier note, on the same day, I'm we'll gonna put you to the test here, in 1984, November the 7th, Danny DeHu had a goal two assists, in a 4-4 tie against Vancouver. I wouldn't expect you to remember this, but you did mm-hmm. score two goals that night, and he assisted on one of your goals. Which he assisted on a lot of your goals. He assisted on a lot of my
0: goals. You're right. And uh, Danny was a heck of a player. He came over. Billy uh, Durlego had been hurt. And uh, he kind of took over as my centerman. And uh, like I said before, I think many times, basically the 350-goal seasons were split in half between Billy and Danny. And, uh, you know, I loved playing with Danny. He he, he was – how do I put it? He, well, he was a little guy, but boy, I'll tell you, he played a lot bigger than he was. And uh, he was great at getting the puck to me. And uh, it's no surprise that he had two assists on two of my goals that night.
2: <laughs> well, one of them. He got assists on them, but, you know, yeah. Had... Oh,
0: okay. Well, there's
2: another guy in there, uh, uh, an upstart. I think his name was Salming. Some guy some guy named Salming. He had an assist on your goals. So, you know, he turned out playing a couple of games that at least also. So. Well, you know, here we are, It's good. another week in the books. Uh, nah, no real word on getting any closer to the NHL season starting, although I see today that the NBA's announced are targeted December 22nd as a possible start date. Maybe the logistics will start piecing things together for the NHL. Um, one change since we last spoke with them in Maple Leaf World with Michael Hutchinson returning, which people are a little confused in that, but they shouldn't be because I think more along the lines it's an insurance move. For a number of reasons. One, Aaron Dell, who's the third string goalie on the depth chart. If they do ever have to send him down, he'd have to clear waivers, so there's the risk you could lose him. Hutchinson's on a two-way, so you'll run that risk the same way. The kids Ian Scott and Joseph Wall aren't ready for the NHL yet, so they need more tutoring at the AHL level. Hutchinson can provide some mentoring for them at that level as well. And also, if he plays better himself and plays good at that level, maybe becomes a mid-season trained, and maybe he also gets picked up in the NHL draft the expansion draft with uh, Seattle. So everybody wins in this situation. And, and really, it, it's not costing me anything.
0: Yeah, and it shouldn't confuse anybody. I mean, it, it's pretty black and white, really. I mean, uh, they need insurance going forward. They need someone to tutor those young goalies in, uh, with the Marlies. Yeah. And, and, yeah, you got that expansion draft coming up. So you, you're going to have to uh, leave a goalie unprotected and you know you don't want to leave one of the top two or three guys unprotected so if he plays well down there there's a chance that perhaps he gets picked up by seattle and then you know earns a job there or or is the top guy on their farm team and gets called up whenever necessary
2: that's right i mean so i mean that's why i think it's it's a good move uh, again the leafs are thinking out they're being prudent and these are the type of decisions you have to make to move forward and again it's always at the ice level, it really counts though, so we're still months away yeah. from all of that. So, so we'll see what it does bring us. Now, I guess we should probably mention our guest today. Now, I don't even know where to begin defining a guy like this. I mean, heart and solar, played the game hard, played the game the right way, all those type of cliches, Well, they certainly apply to this guy and then some, and I'm of course referring to Wendell Clark.
0: Yeah, well, I, I think you hit the, the the nail on the head there Mike, I mean, the guy did everything—all those things you talked about. Um, very quiet guy when he first came in. He uh, it wasn't it wasn't vocal even later on after several years of, of playing with the Leafs. But uh, boy, oh boy, I tell you, watching him play uh, at, at a young age and what he did—like, I mean, taking on guys like Probert and uh, Ben Wilson and guys like that—I mean, I. I sat on the bench the one game we're playing Chicago and he squared off with Ben Wilson and they just traded hay- haymakers for probably well seems like seemed like forever, but it was probably about a minute and a half. Yeah. I, I was shocked. I, I was sitting on the bench watching it because it was right in front of our bench, and I'm thinking, wow, boy, is this guy ever tough? Like <laughs> it's like, and he was. There's no question about that. He's Probably, I would say probably the toughest guy that I ever played with.
2: Yeah, that, well, I, I don't, that, I don't think you'd be get too many arguments from any other teammates. Also, along
0: those lines. No, no, for sure.
2: Well, I think uh, you know, yeah, but anyway, he's just, so we're looking forward to having him on with us in a minute. So I think that uh, you know, without waiting any further, why don't we let, listen to the big guy himself and hear what he has to say?
0: Yeah, absolutely.
2: Squid, our guest today is one of those types that needs no formal introduction and simply stating his first name says it all. First of all, picked pick in the 1985 draft by the Leafs after a solid career in the WHL, converted from D to a forward, made the all-rookie team after setting a Leaf goal-scoring record of 34 goals, which has been broken since by some kid that I forgot his name, but it was a hard-nosed play that resonated fans with this guy, and I'm referring to Leaf great Wendell Clark. Wendell, how are we doing today? I'm good, guys. How are you guys doing?
0: We're good, so we're I think, all uh, good.
2: Yeah, it's, it's good, the weather's great, so I mean, uh, you were just telling us off air that you were doing some yard work. <laughs> what else are you doing to keep busy these days?
1: <laughs> that's it, that's it. I, I've done so much yard work, I'm ready for July next year already. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know what, Wendell? The trick is when you go and cut the grass, like cut it real bad, like, I went and cut the grass one day, and my wife said, What did you do? And I said, Well, what do you mean? I just cut the grass. She goes, Yeah, but it looks terrible, like the pattern and everything. And I went, Pattern. And she goes, That's it. You're not cutting it anymore. I said, Oh, okay. <laughs> never, <laughs> yeah, never, never, never. You're
2: never cutting them in a circle like a golf green. That's why. <laughs>
1: That's it. He wanted to, Rick wanted to try to putt on it. That's what he That's was That's
0: exactly what he's doing. Well, so, I want her to put the blades down a little lower all the time so that we can make it shorter. And she's like, no, no. I said, okay. <laughs> you cut it then.
2: So, Wendell, we, uh, you know, so most of the fans who do know, you knew you grew up in Kelvington, Saskatchewan. But uh, maybe for those who don't, maybe walk us through your early years playing hockey in Western Canada and in, in the province and uh, maybe right up into your junior career.
1: Yeah, no, I, I grew up in Kelvington, Saskatchewan, a town of 900 people, and there's a, a group of us that all kind of came out of Kelvington at the same time. Uh, Barry Melrose was just ahead of us, and Joey Kosher, myself, my younger brother. Uh, Corey Kosher was drafted to Detroit in the first round as well, uh, so there's a whole group right around that time, and then in, even in the area close by, Kelly Chase, Bernie Federko Ken Federko the old lines, we were, all, we we're all a stone's throw apart there from one area, so we all Grew up playing in Kelvington, and then when I was 13, 14, small town, you're looking for more competition. So I went to Yorkton, uh, 100 miles away, drove, uh, drove four or five days a week to play in Yorkton. And then my parents got sick of driving, and they sent me to Notre, Notre Dame, Wilcox, Saskatchewan to play midget for two years.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And from there, went and played, uh, then made the Saskatoon Blades uh, and played two years in Saskatoon.
2: Yes, yeah, so, I mean, um, well, Notre Dame, and we were going to get to that eventually, I mean, the, the hound line, I mean, the, the, the couple of guys you play with that there you end up playing with again later on in your career. I mean, any, I mean, talk about the chances. I mean.
1: Yeah, no, it was, uh, it, it was, well, pretty lucky. I, uh, Gary was, Gary Lehman was just ahead of me and he was on the Regina Pats uh, yeah. when I got to Notre Dame. But Russ was in Notre Dame. I played with Russ. I was a defenseman. Russ was the centerman there. And, uh yeah, so then, so all three of us kind of went through there, and then yep. Gary gets drafted to, to Toronto first, then Russ, uh, and then I came in, and then uh, they said you're a forward, and and all of a sudden that's the line. First, uh, first day of training camp, you're a forward, you're playing left wing with Lehman and uh, Cardinal. Well, I
2: 1985 was obviously a big year for you on a couple of fronts. Number one, you get chosen first overall in the NHL draft by Toronto, and secondly, you help. Canada win a gold medal in Finland at the World Junior Championships. I mean, how did that year all play out for you? Was it just a blur? Yeah, no, I, I, I never got a chance to win a Stanley Cup. So I often tell a lot of
1: people that like, the calendar year uh, of 1985 is probably one of my most uh, fun years. You're, you're playing for the Saskatoon Blades. It's your draft year. Uh, Christmas that year, I get a chance to make the World Junior Team. We win gold medal. Uh, from there, you go... And uh, finish uh, the, the the junior season, and then get drafted first overall to the Leafs, so and then you start playing in the NHL with guys like Boris Salming and Ricky Vive and, and and stuff that you watch play. So it's uh, that that whole calendar year was really a blur as an 18 year old.
0: What about the World Juniors when when you I mean you played forward? I, I think you I if I recall, I think you were telling me that. That they said that the only you, if you play forward you're going to make the team because we're not going to have the other defense.
1: Yeah, no, they uh, that year uh, was the first. Uh, well, the first year I think that Canada won in Europe uh, a gold medal, and in order to make the team, I thought I was getting cut. I got called in. You remember that 7 a.m. phone call that they usually phone you? You either going on the plane to Europe or you're going the plane home, and I got the 7 a.m. phone call, and I thought I was uh, going to get cut and. Terry Simpson and Sherry Basson said, we'd we'd like you to play on the team, but uh, you're going to be playing some forward, some defense, because they wanted to take, we want to take eight defensemen to World Juniors, so myself and John Miner, who was playing on their Regina Pats, both played forward and defense, and and, uh, uh, luck we have it, Dave Gertz, who was one of the other defensemen from Prince Albert, he broke his leg in an exhibition game in Finland, so that's Why I ended up playing some forward and some D, and so I played three games forward and three games defense in in the World Juniors, and uh, must have been the Leafs. They just scouted the three games I played forward in World Juniors because I ended up being (laughs) a forward. But uh, yeah, that
0: uh, that wouldn't surprise me. (laughs) A
1: a great experience and a little story. uh, Didn't know till later till we were doing something with the World Juniors, Gary Roberts and I, uh, because the year I made the World Juniors, uh, Team Canada is the hardest thing to. to to play on it's probably the first time a lot of us we don't know if you're going to make the team or not there's that many good players playing for any canadian team Mm -hmm. and and so we're gary roberts and i were doing a talk and i was saying how you have to be a team guy doesn't matter where they put you and explained how i went from defense to forward well lo and behold gary roberts was one of the guys that was cut uh, my year at world juniors so he got cut because i got moved to forward so, Gary was looking at me as I was telling the kids. and He goes, you mean to tell me I got cut because they moved the defenseman to forward? <laughs> and, and and that year, uh, Todd Gill got cut. Joe Noondike got cut. Gary Roberts got cut. And Patrick Waugh got cut from that world junior team. Craig Billington beat out uh, Patrick Waugh on the uh, world junior team. So, you, you never know, you know, later, you know, Patrick Waugh, one of the best ever. Uh, Gary Roberts, Newey, uh, Hall of Famer. You, you never... You never know that that Team Canada. That's that, That's the toughest thing I know. Rick, you played in some, some of the Team Canada stuff, and that's that's some of the hardest because everybody's good.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh, Squid, what about your right team?
2: What about the team you guys had, Squid, and uh, your team in Montreal? You yeah, guys we, didn't
0: win. Well, we had a great team in Montreal, and I, I believe that was the first year they ever picked an all-star team. It was the team. first year. Gretzky, St- uh, Tambolini, Bobby and Smith. I mean, uh, I mean the list goes on. Um, but you got to remember the Russians were pretty darn good. And so were the Swedes back then too. And uh, they had a lot of guys that ended up, you know, eventually coming and playing in the national hockey league. So, uh, we ended up with the bronze. Unfortunately didn't get a gold medal, but, uh, you know, the bronze was okay. And, uh, just to make, just to make the Canadian team as, uh, one of the players, uh, it was unbelievable, and of course, it was in Montreal, so we dressed in Montreal's weight room. they took all their weights out, they put stalls in there, so that that was a pretty cool experience uh watching them practice every day and and walking around their dressing room and all that kind of stuff and uh, so yeah, I mean playing for your country is a, a pretty special thing,
2: so now Wendell uh you know you come oh, up by up the for- way, Wendell,
0: you wore a pretty good number back then too
2: <laughs> i i, I <laughs> you always get to the end of that, okay? At some point, either the '78 draft or the number, okay? <laughs> so of the way. I was safe on it for the rest of the call, okay? So you got it out of the way. 22. So draft day comes up or is approaching. Much different in your day than it is today. With any kind of indication that you were going to go near the top or where you were going to be ranked, or like just talk about your the anxiety. Yeah, like, wait. All, all
1: year I was. Yeah, all year in the during the draft I was pretty much ranked top 10. Yeah. I say and. And then um, uh, coming right down to the end uh, yeah. Toronto and Harold Ballard and the whole group, they didn't, uh, they didn't let anybody know what they were doing. So I, I kind of knew top three for sure. Uh, just by the interviews I was doing and, and stuff like that. And, you know, Craig Simpson uh, was in, he wouldn't go or he wouldn't go. And he was there and Dana Mersin, Jim Sandlack were all guys uh, rated uh, right up in, in that area as well. And I, I really didn't, uh, had a pretty good idea. I'd go, top two three and, and but didn't know until i was drafted that i was going to go number one i think they the least maybe had three jerseys with three different names on under the table there and i just happened to be the one that they picked but it was uh they kept it and it was uh, a fun draft because it was the first year the draft wasn't in montreal it was held at uh, the convention center in toronto and they happened to have the first pick so it made uh, made for big news
2: Wally, now two things, I'll get to this in a second here, but now you meet Harold Ballard, I guess, at the draft, at the draft table. Now, here you are an 18 year old kid coming from Kelvington, Saskatchewan, coming to this draft, you're the first pick taken row, you're sitting at the table with the owner, and Bob Stellick tells a story that during that time, I don't know if you remember this or not, Dollar's trying to hire him away from central scouting and you're really uncomfortable because they start talking about salary, uh, salary and bonus and all this kind of stuff. And you wanted to leave in house So just sit there, it's and fine. And they're negotiating right in front of you. And you just kept trying to turn your head. So what was going through your mind when, when all this was all going on? Uh, no,
1: that, like you say, it, it's all really a blur. You're a kid, you're getting drafted. It's the, the, I, the least nervous probably at the time of the draft because I ended up going first. I didn't have to wait. Uh, but then you're nervous. You're meeting all the people. Uh, Ricky, by Ricky was there at the draft. That's the first time I met Rick. He had uh, he had black hair, not so much gray then when I first met Rick. But uh, and then well, you, the you, had hair. you had hair. <laughs> and I had hair then. But uh, but really, just sitting at the table and 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 really just everything is a blur, right? Uh, right with that whole draft thing because it it's all happening in front of you and. And, and um, you know, even probably more when Rick got uh, taken and everything. But it, you do everything on your own. There's not agents and groups and handlers and everybody telling you what's yeah. going on. You're really going there as an 18-year-old kid. I know my interviews, i went into the – dropped off in a cab uh, the day before to do an interview with the Leafs, and you're going in the back door off church into the hot stove. So first time in and around the building, and that's the door you go, and you get – really, this is a door into the – Maple Leaf Garden that you don't realize you're going into the hot stove and meeting the whole whole group of Dan Maloney and John Brophy and and Jerry McNamara and and, and the whole works uh, there from uh, the day before meeting.
2: So any uh, any uh, now just maybe take the listeners who don't aren't aware of like some of the questions you maybe get asked in the interviews like anything stand out some crazy questions I know they asked some crazy ones today.
1: No, they do more crazy ones now with the build up and all the interviews they do. It's really just uh, a lot of talking. I think Harold Harold uh, asked the, the sharpest question. He said, "What are you going to do if we don't make the team?" was was his <laughs> Was his question at the hot stove? And when I was in the hot stove there, and I said, "Well, I guess I'm going back to junior if I don't make the team." He wondered, "How do you know you're good enough to make it?" Uh, but that was Harold uh, Harold being Harold in his his way and in uh, running the the meeting.
2: And he? Uh, what did he say to you when you sat down at the table when you finally got drafted? Did he? Did he thoughts come out of him that you just thought okay is this really happening yeah no
1: the, the biggest thing no it's 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 basically welcome aboard kid uh, that's uh, harold was always pretty friendly to all the players uh, we i think uh, rick will tell you we we got along pretty well with harold he treated us pretty pretty well and especially uh, rick would know uh king clancy better than me even because uh, king king passed away uh, a year after i had uh, been drafted but I think that really affected Harold the most. Uh, that was uh, Harold's last great buddy. I think that they were frickin' fracked there in the box. You'd, you'd watch him in the, in the gardens, but uh, King was a King was a really good person, and I think probably a really level head uh, for Harold at that time.
0: He, he absolutely was, and uh,
1: you know, after
0: Harold lost his wife, and uh, you know, he kind of got a little crazy and. King Clancy was the guy that settled him down and, and kind of was with him day in and day out and uh, I, I think if it wasn't for King I think Harold probably would have been crazier a lot sooner than he than he than he went crazy, uh, I would assume because King was a wonderful man and uh, but I remember both of them sometimes you know even on road trips you're, you're in the dressing room and they're in the room next to you. Uh, Besides the dressing room, and they're arguing about religion and this and that, you know, but in fun, obviously, but but nonetheless, King was uh, definitely his best buddy.
2: Now, uh, Wendell, you're during your, one of your negotiations. Your dad, Les, apparently hit it off with Harold quite well right off the bat, and uh, there is a story that he actually gave him a satellite there so he could watch the games back on the farm. Is that true? <laughs> Yeah, that was,
1: isn't that it? A little difference in the money today. I got a $5,000 satellite dish, those great big dishes. And and he said, so your parents could watch the game. And lo and behold, my first tax receipt, I got the tax bill. So I ended up paying for half the dish anyway. (laughs) I got the tax bill for the dish. And and, and, and about six months later, it, uh, yeah, mom and dad and and Harold uh, got along very well. Uh, Harold got along with a lot of the parents if he traveled. Uh, out west a lot. I know that's when he'd run into uh, Russ's Russ's mom. And then my mom and dad would either be Winnipeg, Calgary, Edmonton. They do they do those games. And he loves sitting in the stands and, or uh, eating breakfast in the morning with the parents and just uh, giving his two cents on the game or what's going on in the country. Or he'd be asking uh, the parents, what's going on out west here with the politics and all that. So he, he loved uh, talking all the time.
2: So now you you get drafted by the Leafs. You go through the introduction, and now you get on the plane and you're coming back for training camp. What was what did you really know about Toronto and actually the whole city itself, like before you got here? Um, no, I, I
1: didn't know anything. You're a junior kid. Uh, you're just hoping to go to anybody at that stage. You know, you just want to play in the NHL. It Didn't matter where, what, or who. And and so when I got drafted, Toronto, uh, then now that's that's my favorite team. Now you're coming in and. You're you're nervous. You're coming to training camp trying to make the team, and you're uh, you know you were a good junior, but you're you're getting to pro camp, and there's a big step between junior and and, and professional hockey. You're not playing with any sixteen year olds anymore. Uh, even the players that aren't very good are still pretty good players, and this is the first time you come across that. Where in minor hockey and junior hockey, uh, a better player can really dominate, but it, it gets it gets harder to do. That uh, first training camp was uh, a little nervous, and uh, rightfully so, uh, but I, the, you know the, our captain Rick Vine wouldn't give me number twenty-two, so I had to take <laughs> a new number. They, number seventeen was hanging in my stall. People always ask how I got seventeen, and Guy Kinnear had seventeen hanging there. That's that's how I I got that number, and and uh, so well, you never, you never asked me, Wendell. Yeah, well, I, I couldn't afford a Timex, little on a Rolex back then. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well squid now you uh you're 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 been around for a while here's your first round draft pick coming in what was your first impression of this young guy when you got to look at him
0: um that he belonged in the league uh right from the beginning and uh the way he played it was uh it was something that i think we really needed at the time was a guy that played like wendell and uh, you know i like i've I don't know how many times I've been asked the question, "Who's the toughest guy he ever played with or or against?" And I would say the you know, the toughest guy I ever played with was Wendell. And uh you know, I mean, watching him as an 18-year-old go at it with uh, guys like Bob Probert and uh oh, the guy in uh, Chicago, uh, Ben Wilson, and I'm thinking like, "Wow, like this is crazy." Like, <laughs> I, like at 18 years old, uh, he's willing to do it and doing it very, very well. So um, I, I was happy as heck that we had another guy that, you know, played that way and, uh, and could score goals as well.
2: Well, you know, because the Leafs had a problem with bringing young players in too quickly. So that was one of the things with a bit of a bone of contention with you guys moving forward. So maybe speak to that a little bit. I mean, especially when you're seeing this.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, you know, and I think Wendell can attest to this too, and and Ally Frady himself will tell you that he came in way too early, that he should have went and played junior for another two years, and guys like Benning, Boynstruck, even Gary Nyland, who physically was ready but probably not mentally, and and even Russ to a certain extent probably could have used a year in the minors or, or, you know, to kind of get ready for the National Hockey League, and... All these guys were kind of thrown right in there, and the only guy that, out of the whole bunch, over that time, that really fit in was Wendell. And uh, I don't know, Wendell, you could attest or talk about that because that's one of the things that I always thought when they made some big mistakes with.
1: Yeah, no, we we uh, we had a very young team. Like when I, when I got there, like we were a glorified junior team, Rick, except for yourself, Billy D. Uh, Walt Padebni and, and uh, Borea Salman, we thought was ancient, you know, when I'm 10, yeah. 35, and, and you guys are all 26, 27. So, And the rest of us, we, we were all 20 to 21, the, the whole group that you, you had. So we were a young, young team. I, I, I always say we had a huge talent on that 80, 85 to 87. We were a very talented team and, and, and didn't get put together well enough. Uh, and and like you say a lot of the guys yep. needed a little more maturing but uh if we'd have been put together I think because we showed it in the two playoffs that uh, when they just said play uh, we had two pretty good playoff rounds and and I, and I thought if we could have kept going and both our goalies Kenny Reagan and Alan Bester they were both 21 like we had two rookies starting pretty much they right off the bat so uh, Timmy Bernhardt was there as, as well a little bit and but uh, we had some. Uh, it was a very young, inexperienced team. Uh, it was just like you, uh, like you said, Billy. Well, Billy D was my first sentiment. Rick and I and Billy D were aligned in Boston. My very first game, and right after the game, he gets traded for Tom <laughs> Fergus. So I got my first game at forward. I got my sentiment traded.
0: <laughs> um, uh, I think I think he probably got himself traded. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, that, that there's, yeah, there's another side of that story, that's for sure. Now, Wendell, just going back to uh, your first year, I guess, your rookie after that, we ask all the guys who come on this, this question all the time, was there a defining moment uh, when you sort of stepped back and you took a look that, okay, I, 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 I belong here, I can play here, and that the guys actually, was there that, and then taking it one step further, that moment when the players you knew accepted you, that you were one of the guys and you were a part of that team?
1: Um, th- no, I think it, it didn't happen right away. You're you're there and you're a rookie and you're taking everything in. Like there's everything going on. You're 18 between traveling, living on your own, road yeah. trips, new cities. There's a lot coming in. It's your first time. You're you're playing that many good games night after night. And maybe one of the <laughs> I was injured half my career, but one of the the things I broke my foot. I want to say game 10 or 11. I think. And I, I missed about a month before I came back, and that month was uh, probably really good because I got to grow. You, you know, you're I played ten games, you got the taste of it, or fifteen, and then you're there with the team. But I had a broken foot, so I trained, and I really got stronger. I did a lot of lot of stuff, watching the guys play, You were hanging around but not playing. And then when I came back, it was it was late. November, December after the injury, and that's kind of when I started, uh, you know, really feeling a part of it, and you were strong enough, and I I think uh, a lot of times, uh, like Rick was saying, when you're 18 years old coming in, you're, you're not as strong as a 22, 23 year old, even though you might be big and strong, and you look like a big teenager, you don't have man strength yet, so I think that month that I got to grow and not be really busy playing really it, it did help me. Um, so when I did come in December, I was a lot stronger.
2: Well, probably brought your feet back on the ground with all the whirlwind of activity going on around you, you could take us take back step back and take a breath actually, and take a look forward. So, now speaking of which, during that time, I'd be remiss if I didn't say, did the boys get you with an initiation at all, like a stick here with a dinner or something? <laughs> no, I don't. I don't think I. I might have had a couple small dinners, but we never
1: we never really had uh, any of that happen uh, too much. Um, I, I think uh, I think uh, Don, as Donnie. Was Edwards? Was going during the we had the uh, rookie golf tournament or the the kickoff, not rookie tournament, but the kickoff golf tournament. And he yeah. said, "Well, you know, you might get initiated." And uh, Donnie Edwards was, was was talking there, and I said, "Well, that cigar, you better be leading it because <laughs> you guys will get me, but there's a lot of guys going down."
0: <laughs> wow. Well, part part of the reason he didn't get initiated because I didn't believe in it. I didn't think yep. it was something that, that belonged in the game. And uh, uh, so I just said, guys, no, we're not doing that. Uh, I, think, I think what we did was, I think, if I'm not mistaken, we went to the Madison Avenue Pub, uh, where we went frequently, Wendell, as you recall, and uh, <laughs> we made him pay for a few of the rounds, I think, uh, something like that.
2: Yeah, that's probably, that's probably more along the lines of the way it should be. Um, now, Wendell, as your popularity grew in the city, I mean, you, I mean, you started to obviously take this all in because you're not you're not in a small town anymore. Uh, this is a pretty big place. So, as that started to uh, you know get more and more, you get more recognized being out there. In variety started to come your way. How did you stay focused and just you just block it out and just focus on the rink?
1: Uh, basically, uh, I've always uh, the rink is home for especially when you play in Toronto. For any of the guys that we always talk about after us or before that that's your home base the dressing room is home for the players yep. um whether it was my time in the 80s starting or rick uh, who got there a little ahead of me or the sittler era or in 67 when they're winning their last cup the toronto police were always very popular it didn't matter and, and you were the main focus of town it didn't matter the era uh, people would be sitting outside your house or everybody knew or they'd be phoning uh uh, the secretaries at the, the gardens to let guys know let you know where the guys were the night before so they always knew and it's always been like that in Toronto it's not just a new thing because of technology and today yeah. and people say it's it's harder but, but really in Toronto it's always been something where everybody knew what was going on and and being it's your first place i always say it's easier to start your first year in Toronto than it is to come there as a 25 year old and maybe you played in New Jersey or Arizona for your first five or six years. And then you come to Toronto. It's a shock for some of the guys. All of a sudden uh, you're, you're on every day in practice. There's 400 media people there, maybe or a hundred every day. And, and that, that's been the norm forever. And, and uh, we grew up with that. So as a when you see it as a youngster, um, it's that's, I guess this is the NHL. That's the way it is. But, so it, you, you kind of get used to it right away. And growing up in, in Saskatoon and playing junior out west where hockey is pretty big and our rink was always sold out. She always got a little bit of a feel of all that playing playing uh, where I played junior.
0: Well, not like- uh, I've always, I've always yeah. said that if you're going to play in Toronto, you better have thick skin and you better be able to let things roll off your, your back and that sort of thing. And, uh I think that's true, as as you just said. Like, I mean, in Toronto, you you're you're the only thing in Toronto. The uh, Toronto Maple Leafs, you're the big thing. And uh, I always, I've always said that if you're not strong-willed, and, and uh, uh, you, you won't you won't last if you're going to play in Toronto.
2: Well, you know, Scott. Actually, maybe you can tell, just elaborate on it a little bit because there's a story you've told in the past, and so maybe give the Cole's Notes version of this uh, by you and Billy coming across the country for the first time to land in Toronto, and uh, not realizing what you're gonna face. Maybe just quickly tell that story for some of the listeners who not have heard that one.
0: Well, I mean, we got traded from Vancouver and we were told like at seven o'clock in the morning or 6.30, and we had a one o'clock flight. And uh, so anyway, we get on the plane and of course, Billy, you know, the way Billy was, is uh, you know, Squid, uh, why don't we have a few beers? And I'm like, oh, whatever, you know, I mean, I'm okay with that. Well, turns out it was election day in Canada and they were not serving on the flight. I think Billy was up to about a thousand that he had offered the flight attendant to serve us. And thank God we didn't, because when we landed in Toronto uh, at the Pearson airport, there was probably a hundred uh, media there with, you know, cameras and, and everything. And uh, so I, I've, I was pretty happy at that point that we did not get into the beers because it was a it's a fi- it's a five hour flight. <laughs> we might have had quite a few.
2: All right, I mean, you're coming from a, a Canadian city, and just thinking it's just some other stop, and not realizing the impact that this team has on this city and the surrounding areas. So,
0: yeah, and well, we were lucky too that the team was on the road at the time, so we only had to face them at the airport. Then we went to the hotel, went to Long Island where we played our first game and we were on the road for a couple more days. It wasn't until we came back that we really got in to where the media really wanted to talk to us in in depth.
2: And uh, Wendell, so uh, a day that would come that uh, mostly fans and here probably soon was gonna come one day, 1991, you're named Captain. Take us through how that all kind of unfolded and that memorable day, obviously.
1: No, I was very, very, very honored. Anytime you get chosen by the a team to to represent the team as a captain, and Rick, uh, Rick did as well. He was a captain when I got to Toronto, and it's a huge honor to to have that. It's it's something that,
0: and it happened to
1: happen. We were it was uh, the 1991 uh, Canada Cup tryouts were happening in Toronto at Maple Leaf Gardens. So uh, Cliff Fletcher and Tom Watt called me over. Uh, actually, made the announcement at the hot stove uh, in between one of the practices. And uh, it was it was great. All the all the all the guys trying out for Team Canada had a chuckle with it. So they taped on the C, I think, in one of my practice jerseys. <laughs> uh, so I I went on the ice in one of the inter squad games. I was captain of Team Canada. About a week later, I was cut.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, it's kind of funny you said that because uh, I mean. When when I was named captain, and there's no question, I mean, it it is an honor. There's no, uh, I mean, you're asked to be the captain of the Toronto Maple Police. In my case, it wasn't asked. I was told by Harold. And he just came up to me and he just said, you're the captain. And, you know, I I was 22 years old and I was thinking, you know, I'm not so sure if I'm ready yet you know, I, I'd like to wait a year or two and, and then, you know, maybe get a little bit more under my belt before taking on that responsibility. Um, but I felt that if I didn't take it, you, as you know, Harold, I probably would have been out the door and traded probably within a week. So anyway, I took it, it was a little bit difficult for the first couple of years, but uh, with the help of the guys in the room, it, it, it got better, and especially when the team got younger. It got a lot easier as well well now when
2: do you go from cliff fletcher giving you that news in 1991 on the night side then 1994 the team has a terrific year you have a great year and then all of a sudden you get told you're being traded yeah yeah, yeah. It, it, the only time i had i think i always had
1: trade rumors flying around there for a year and a half and that year 93, 94, it was dead quiet. They ever the team was good. We go to the semifinals again. And probably the bad omen when it, when when things are going too good hearing nothing. And it was day I got traded on draft day and no cell phones yet, unless you had the big bat phone that sat on the console in your car or something at that time. Yeah. Uh, and I was I was actually out shooting a commercial, I think, for Cheerios or something, and I stopped at the SO gas station right across from the Molson Brewery. On Front Street, the old Molson Brewery there. Yep. And I thought, okay, I'm going to turn on the radio to see who we drafted. That's when I found out I got traded. I, got, I turned on the radio. Nobody knew where I was or what I was doing. They couldn't get a hold of me. and I found out on the radio that I was uh, traded to, to Quebec for Matt Sundin.
0: Now, I heard the story goes that when you were driving to Quebec, you got your first speeding ticket ever. <laughs> because <laughs> there were no I, longer I, I, relief.
1: I knew I wasn't a Toronto Maple Leaf anymore. It just past Kingston, I get a speeding ticket. <laughs> I didn't get a ticket for nine years in Toronto. And so you, you know when you're not a Leaf anymore.
2: Well, now, this, uh, now there's also a story. That was the one story that's always that you're in a gas station when you, were, you, you found out yourself. Now, apparently, is this also true that uh, when Todd Gill was the first guy to contact, he answered the phone, bonjour, Giller. that's it that's it it. giller and i uh he he took me out that
1: night says well this is it we better learn french but uh yeah no that that was it you you got home and then the answering machine was blowing up and and like you say that was uh uh, different times it was like you say dead quiet not thinking anything was gonna happen and he ended up getting traded and that's hey when you, you knew once wayne gretzky got traded any every everybody's free game after that
2: yeah, there's no question about that. So now the transition for you as a player, you go from a hockey mad English speaking city to a hockey mad, smaller but still very passionate fan base, but French speaking. How was that transition for you? Uh, the, the transition wasn't too bad. The, the, the tough part was is the lockout year that year. We only had the forty game season, yeah.
1: um, and no, what some a lot of people don't know last exhibition game i got hit by ken clee i put myself in a bad position last exhibition game before the lockout there and hit me and i spent the night in the hospital with a concussion so i had my first big concussion had the season really started on time i would have missed 40 games that year with a concussion and nobody ever really knew because we didn't start playing hockey till january i was healthy by then so um and but the team in quebec was a great, talented young hockey team. Like they, they could yeah. uh, at the time. The reason why they traded a player as good as Matt Sundin up the middle, they had Joe Sakic, Matt Sundin, Mike Ricci, and this young Forsberg fellow that they just drafted. And, and so they had these four guys up the middle, and also Adam Dedmarsh was was the centerman up the middle out of Portland. So they had they had way too much talent up the middle. They couldn't give that much ice time to so. Um, they, they give up uh, one of their, you know, we all know how good Matt's turned out and played and, and stuff. So they, they were able to give up that uh, just just because they needed to add different pieces.
0: Well, yeah. would, you, would you say like even going to a place like Quebec, mm-hmm. I mean, hockey's hockey, uh, whether NHL hockey, regardless of what city you're in, it's still played the same way uh you go about your day the same way every game day every practice day uh which i think makes it a little bit easier you're not you're not going into an office where you're meeting 150 different people that work in a company or anything we're every team was kind of tight-knit yeah no you're 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 uh, you're stepping into a team
1: we're all like, like you say rick we're all doing the same things all the time and and the trade happened in the summer, so you started a training camp. It wasn't midseason, and and uh, they they were a young team, and and, and Quebec was a great like like a, they were good. And, we, and again, we uh, we step into a team, we lose to the Rangers, who win the cup. I, I think we should have beat them that year. But our our both our goalies were Thibault and Facette. They were both 19, so that was their first year in the league, and both good enough to be NHLers. But they were both 19 at the time, and. And uh, just needed more maturing, and and but the the team was very good. Probably one of the most talented teams, top to bottom, I ever played on. And I didn't have to do any interviews. We we left it up to the (laughs) the four French, the four French guys that uh, could speak French, did all the interviews on the team. Us English guys, we well, I can't, I don't know what you're asking me, so I can't answer. (laughs)
2: Well, then you end up in, uh, you go from that to, to to the mega city, end up in New York with the Islanders. And then so that little, little twist there, then back in Toronto. So was that almost, when you came back to Toronto, how was that whole experience for you coming back? I know the city was pretty exciting when you came back.
1: Yeah, no, it was very exciting. And it was almost, uh, it was almost like being a rookie again. You're coming back into Toronto. It was a year later because that lockout season with Quebec, we didn't play a game in Toronto as a visiting team. But then I got to play with the Ranger, or with the Islanders, Back in Toronto it was the first road uh, game back, and then a trade deadline, got traded back uh, back to the lease with Matthew Schneider uh, coming back, and it was exciting coming back playing. A lot of the team was the same uh, with Dougie here and Dave Elliot and Todd Gill and uh, Felix was here, so a lot of a lot of the same guys, and and so it was uh, uh, easy coming back in, and Mats was here, and uh, so a lot of familiar faces, but you're 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 coming back in and, and very nervous because you, you know you're you're coming back uh to the place you love playing
0: and a lot you, of you talk, yeah you talked about it before wendell i think a little bit earlier but i remember you and i having dinner together at uh i, I don't know i think it was the easter seals drop party or something and i remember asking you the question like what was it like in 92 and 93 when you went to the conference finals it must have been like insane in Toronto and everything. And I remember you telling me that we had better players in 85, 86 and 86, 87 that we just didn't have the coaching and the general manager that can make that big move that could put you over the hump. And I I was shocked and I I didn't believe you. And then I went home and looked at the rosters and I went, wow, you know what? He is right. And, uh, Unfortunately, uh, well, we we did have a good year we, in the playoffs that year, and then they wouldn't sign Dan Maloney. We just started getting things going, and then all of a sudden they let Dan just walk. Yeah, no, we had we had lazy. We had
1: a lot of good young talent on those teams, and it was just maturing two years in. And if we could have kept the pieces together and and, and put it together, because it's when you're uh, especially our team, Rick, like you said, you Benning and Nyland and, and Gary played on and off on of defense and. You're coming as an 18-year-old, 19-year-old playing defense in the NHL. It's tough. You don't really become a great defenseman until you're about 25, 26. And, and I remember watching Brian McCabe uh, when he, I played with him as a rookie with the Islanders, and really Brian became Brian as a Toronto Maple Leaf at 25 years old. That's when he became his best. It's a, it's a tough position to get really good at right away. Thomas Cabriolet was one of the few that stepped right in as a youngster that I've seen. Uh, play with it's a very hard uh, position to to be very good at both both ends of the rink. And our team in 85 86, I think if we'd have been able to keep it together and uh, get some great systems and, and learn to play as a team even more, uh, we get team. We, we had that team in 92 93, and uh, Cliff uh, made some great trades. You bring in Dougie Gilmore and and, and really Dave Anderchuk. Uh, you could trade Fierzy to get Anderchuk because Felix Bottom might come up as a rookie. And, and did well, and then uh, that, that was our bulk. You know, we had Dougie, and he was the, the horse, and the rest of us filled these pieces in with great coaching, and Pat Burns pulling it all together and giving you great roles to play, and, and everybody bought in. So I, I always thought our team in the 80s th- there when I got here was as talented as we were in the 90s.
2: Now, you're, you, through that period of tro- your Toronto stint we'll go through, you played for i think around six or seven because six coaches i i've, I've counted anyway if my numbers right but um and he got ballard at the helm now some of these coaches like maloney bernsey and uh the characters and uncle how running the show i remember boris Salming telling us one time uh he was on the show a while ago and he said driving to the rink every day you you're just going in and you're walking what's it going to be today like what could be going on in this circus today did you ever get those thoughts, like especially with all those characters around you, maybe speak to that?
1: Yeah, no, I, I uh, we do a lot of events now and I know I do doing a lot with uh, Paul Coffee. I think in the last few years and Paul says, I just want to hear your guys' Toronto stories. We were winning the cup, but you guys have way better stories of what's going on in the game and, you know, we'd be coming down to the rink on a game day and all of a sudden you're locked out of the medical room because the trainers, the doctors are working on Harold in the medical room and, he fell in the hot tub off that board that he was sitting on and there'd be a panic going on. And you guys as fans don't know what's going on in the dressing room. This is during game time. This, all this is happening in the dressing room Then we got to go out and play a game and your, your owner's drowning in the hot tub. And it's uh, all, it, a lot of, at the time you think is, you know, I'm a rookie. So it's, Oh, well, I guess that's the way it is. And, and, and uh, walking in, um, you know, Ricky and Boreas Salming, this is like they, they've seen this already five, six, seven years, they know what's going on, and, and so it, it it was a lot of a lot of fun. Like I said, the, the, the dressing room part is what makes it, and, and I, I think you really find out about a lot of your teammates. It isn't winning is easy because everybody gets along, everything's going good. When, when things are tough and you're not winning, and we didn't always have great regular seasons and still made the playoffs we had a pretty good group of guys that didn't point fingers and they just went out and played. And, and, and a lot of times, you you know, there was fingers pointing at you from, from the outside, but that dress room stayed pretty good in Toronto. And, and uh, that's, that's when you find about how how strong uh, a lot of the good character players that you have that players that went on that did well after they left Toronto, like, like Rick went on to Chicago and Buffalo and kept putting stats up. Stevie Thomas went on, had a great career. Big daddy went on and, Played a lot of years and came back again in '92. There and and, and Dave Allot went on and and you know, um, Craig Muni went on played in Cups in Edmonton that didn't really play much in Toronto. Like we had some really good players uh, that you could see were good because they went on to other teams and and did well for a lot of years. Ken Reggett. Kenny Reggett, yeah, you know, yeah, a yeah. lot of players uh, went on. Todd Gill went and played a lot of years not yeah. in, in in Toronto again. So. Dave Anderchuk played a lot of years after his little run in, in Toronto. He was good in Buffalo as well. So, uh, won we a cup. Yep. Yeah, yep. captain of the, the tapas. So <laughs> it wasn't that we didn't have players. I, I always say that when I mentioned it to Rick. Is if we could have got put together, uh, because we had a lot of good players in that room, and, and it was a lot of the just, is just putting
2: putting the pieces together. Well, I mean, I think the part of it is, is where I was going with that, is the fact that, I mean, here you are again, you're coming in, you, you, you know, the Toronto Maple Leafs are the Toronto Maple Leafs, and there's no mistake about that. You're in the National Hockey League. Yeah, but some of these, the shenanigans going on around you, you know, if you're not strong enough mentally, that could wear you down, and because you're thinking, like, what am I really getting myself into here? Like, and you just got to kind of stay yourself focused. And I know, again... Salming is one of those guys. He said he was able to separate that and just keep it and just worry about what happened on the ice and block the rest out. A lot of other guys aren't quite that fortunate.
1: No, it's true. It, it takes a, a, a player, and, and a lot of the players don't know if they can or can't do it until you actually get here, whether you get to Toronto or get to Montreal. And, and you, you don't know until you live it um, whether you're going to be able to do it. But you really have to mm-hmm. understand, no matter what happens off the ice or away from the game, the only thing we can control as a player is what you do on the ice. Do I get along with my teammates? Do I play as hard as I can when I'm there? And and and, and that's what you can control as a player. You can't control all the other stuff on the outside. And if, if you do try to control it or if you do worry about it, it it's hard to play here then.
0: Yeah, Ricky? You, uh, you talk about uh, Harold, which <laughs> obviously is very, very difficult when you have an owner like that. But I remember the first – when I first got to the gardens and we're going before practice and I needed to get my, my wrist taped. Um, so I walked in, Guy Kinnear, of course, our, our medical trainer, who was Harold's bolt mechanic in Midland. He was massaging Harold's legs because of his, uh, diabetes. He had uh, circulation problems and I couldn't get my wrist taped until he was finished with Harold. And I mean, that, that was my first taste of it, and you're kind of looking at it going, like, what the hell is this all about? But as time goes on, like you said, you can't worry about those things. Otherwise, you know, the, you just worry about what's going on in the room. And, and to me, my biggest focus was always as long as my teammates, my coach, and my general manager are happy with how I'm playing, that's all I need to worry about. I don't have to worry about anything else.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's uh, obviously very true. And I mean, that's the way it would go. And I mean, you know, you, you can just see where the teams bond together and, and, and it does show up on the ice and uh, get big in. It's a very tough thing to block all that out. Now, I do want to touch on a couple of things here. Some of the rivalries we, we talk about. But now, one of your more endearing quotes, I think, Wendell, when you first came to Toronto was after a big brawl one night against the Detroit Red Wings. You're a rookie. And you were asked about that, and you just made a comment along the lines that, nah, it's just another night at a bar in Kelvington, so it's not a real big deal. <laughs> but speak to maybe some of the battles with the Red Wings and some of the guys. you played, like Probert, some of those guys.
1: Yeah, no, it was uh, like, the uh, you know, the, back then, the way the game was broke up, it was uh, the Smythe division, which was skating and fast hockey, and then you had the Patrick and Adams division, which – a little of both and tight checking and then you had the chuck norris division that we played in with uh, gotcha. toronto and minnesota st louis chicago and detroit and and every team was tough like every team could play that way they and and the game would away if the game was getting out of hand if somebody was up two goals some of the other players got to play a lot more and, and the really the game uh, was a very tough game and And we played a lot of – Detroit was always a big rivalry because we played Friday night in Detroit and then Saturday in Toronto. And I remember telling people, I said, there's going to be a hockey game. I just don't know if it's going to be Friday or Saturday. And the other night was going to be fight night. But you you didn't know whether it would be Friday or Saturday just on the temperature of the game. And I remember we played, uh, I think, an alumni hockey game, a charity game. Rick, was it 2002 or – right with – maybe as '06 06 uh, in Detroit, right, right when the, the, yeah. the league wasn't going on. So we played an alumni game in Detroit and uh, there was 16,000 fans and you were playing an alumni game. I think we ended up winning like 11, nine or nine, seven or something. But the game, the fans in that rink in Detroit was, was like we were doing a Saturday night in the eighties. It, it was, uh, they were into it. they were watching the Proberts and the Koshers and, and Gallant on the other team and, we had Ricky and myself and Wilfie Paymont was playing, cars stirring it up uh, on the ice. And I remember telling Wilfie, if you're going to stir it up, you've got kosher and cover yourself because we don't want anything to do with them right now.
0: <laughs> well, how about our outdoor game at BMO Field when uh, Gary Roberts almost got into it with uh, Draper? Uh, yeah, no, I like the
1: the game was a, a fun, like uh, when we watch all those outdoor games, Rick, and. We always played Detroit in, in those games. And then watch the other ones on TV Colorado's playing Minnesota or something, or Rangers are playing St. Louis or something. The games all look fun and, and slow. And then all of a sudden, our games at the rival with Detroit, as the game gets near the end, the temperature would go up in the game. Guys would be playing harder. I remember telling somebody the only two guys that could try that hard were Draper and Roberts. They were the only two that were in that good of shape that would try that hard to make each other mad. Uh, but it, it, it was just that the temperature just seems a competition, uh, and it was a fun competition, but both teams wanted to win, even even with the alumni game as a, the game came near the end, and that was uh, the players' instincts to want to play well uh, did, and it. it turned out great. It's always a great show for the fans' end.
0: Well who uh, is isn't it amazing? Time goes on, regardless of what you're doing. I mean, if you're golfing or you're you're playing an alumni game or whatever, you still don't want to lose. You you hate to lose. And I, I mean I, I'm the same way. I mean, I just I can't stand losing. We played some of the NHL alumni games, and guys are saying, you know, like we can't beat these guys too bad. And I said, hey, all these people sitting in the rank three or four thousand or whatever it might be. They didn't come to watch those guys. They came to watch us. So our job is to, to try and be the best variety of what we were thirty or forty years ago. In my case, a little bit longer than you, but um, uh, but I always felt that way, and that, that's kind of the way I played it in, in the alumni games.
2: So now, about Wendell, who was the toughest guy you ever played against? Do you think there's you played against a number of them? Obviously, maybe tough. To yeah, right now, probably but- the. Compass.
1: Not You know, it doesn't have to be just fighting, but just a guy that played hard was, you know, a guy I played against, but Bob Rouse and I battled. He was in Lethbridge as a defenseman, and then he was in Minnesota as a defenseman in Washington. Then yeah. he got to play with us in Toronto, and then he was in Detroit, and Bob Rouse always played me hard. He was a big, strong two-way, you know, not a two-way, but defensive defenseman, and come yeah. playoff time, he was even meaner. Um and he, he's somebody that, you know, right, right now every team in the league is always looking for that guy. He, he played that and he was never scared of of anything or anybody. And and it's not that he was ever looking for it, but he could do it. Um, and and he was just a big, big, strong, honest, hard hard guy to play against.
0: Well, it's now, who, funny, he, I've been asked that question so many times, Wendell, and the guy that sticks out for me, because I had to play against him in the Chuck Norris division in St. Louis, uh Brian Sutter. Like he, we never had a fight the whole time I played against them. But my gosh, playing against that guy for 60 minutes, like the hacking and the whacking and the the holding, tripping and slash, it was unbelievable. But it's because he was competitive as well.
2: Well I think you just answered the question about the bro? rose. I was going to ask you, who is one of those guys that surprised you? was tougher than you would have thought he was to play against when he came into the league and went through it a couple of times or a couple guys.
1: I, I don't know if it anybody surprise you. You're, you're pretty much ready for everybody. Um, yeah. And, and uh, the players all know the players. I, when we still talk to the fans now, the fans are surprised. And the players go, no, no, we, we always knew he was pretty good. It's just <laughs> people aren't thinking of him that way, or he's not covered as much because he's not playing in a big market. Uh, but I remember we were playing in a game once and, I, it might have been in Minnesota and I hadn't, you know, you're you're going through and who can play this way and who can play. I'm on the bench. I think I was asking. It might have been Rick or Lehman or somebody. And I'm going, Brian McClellan. I've heard he's pretty tough, but I don't know. And all of a sudden, he gets in a fight right in front of me with, with Big Daddy and Brian McClellan could throw, was a big lefty. And I go, okay, now he's tough. Yeah. <laughs> but Brian was a guy that didn't want to do it. And it's not like, but... It, but he knew what he was doing. Like he could play it. It was like one of the guys. Just don't wake him up because um, it's not that he wanted to do it, but he did know what he was doing as far as fighting.
0: Scranton, well, how it's about funny. You? It's funny you bring that up because it, it was in Minnesota as well, where uh, Gary Nightingale was, was a rookie, and now McAdam was on Minnesota North Stars, played at the old med Center there. And of course, I know Al from PEI, and he was a farm boy in PEI, and. Uh, He was pretty darn tough for a guy that wasn't, you know, extremely big. And uh, Gary kept giving it to him all night and calling him an old man. And Gary, I said, you better be careful. I said, you know, he's pretty tough. Yeah, he's old. He's old. And sure enough, he just kept it up, kept it up. And then they dropped the gloves. The cat had hit him about six times. There was blood everywhere. (laughs) Came to the bench. I looked at Gary and Gary looked at me and he said, don't say it. And I said,
2: No, I won't. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, Wendell, and it's good you can throw this one in too, the biggest change in the game from when you guys played to today. Um well, the biggest game is they've
1: they've opened it up to to allow speed to play. Uh, uh every size player can play in the game today more than ever before. Uh there's you know, there except come playoff time is still old old time hockey, the way the rules yeah. get back a little bit. Come playoff time, but uh, really the, the speed, it's not that the players are faster, it's just the game is played faster. The shifts are shorter, you get on the ice, you're moving 100 miles an hour already and that's that's the way they wanted the game uh, to be played and it, you watch from the, the 70s watching Phil Esposito having two and a half minute shifts to the, to, to the one and a half minute shifts to all of a sudden we were probably in the 45 second shifts and then now it's the 30 second shifts and when the, when the shifts are that short um the, the game is faster. Uh, you don't have a tough tough guy line anymore that plays three minutes. So all four lines play at least 10 minutes. So you have more energy. Um, so the game is played that much faster.
0: Yeah, no no red line, I think, uh, really changed that a lot, made that the game a lot faster. As you said, it's not necessarily the, that the players are all that much faster. It's just the game itself. And uh, my biggest take is, the skill level. And, I mean, these guys all have their own skill coaches and skating coaches. And, I mean, it's an 11-month-a-year job now. And when I think about that, I think, wow, boy, what a big difference. Because, I mean, ours was like eight and a half, nine months, and then he took three months off and he skated for a month and then he had a three-week training camp before he even played a game.
2: Now, both of you guys – oh, you want to say – go ahead, Wendell. No,
0: no, I am just going to say that. The one thing that the
1: game misses a little bit because of well, really like Rick says, how skilled they are and everybody's got the coaches where it'd be power skating coaches and skill coaches and everybody wears a helmet and shield now. And I got to the end before there's still maybe 50 guys left in the league and then 20 and then none as far as helmets. But the personalities of watching players play, you don't see in today's game like there was in that eighties era where you know brad marsh skated with no helmet and hands and clutching and grabbing and there was a distinct style brad smith had a distinct style and you could really notice because they didn't have power skating coaches and and everybody had their distinct way of playing they just found a way to get it done and and i think fans really gravitated you got to know uh you know you got to know i think I think probably, you know, you picture Daryl. I think you really got to know Daryl more when he didn't wear the helmet than he did with the helmet. Uh, you know, you really got to see the personalities of the, of the players in a lot of these areas. Gila first skating down the wing, scoring 50 with the, the hair flowing. And and, and uh, so I, I think that's one of the things, you know, for maybe not as many TV games, the the players really had a personality that you knew you know, there's nobody more popular than Johnny Bauer not wearing a face mask in the game of hockey and and, and things like that. So there was a, an era there in that 70s and 80s that you the fans really got to know the personality of the players by how they skated and played. Everybody had a a distinct way of skating and playing because you just as you grew up you just played. And, and today's kids they get you know at 10, 12 till they're 25 they're doing power skating and skills and so every one of them skates the same stick handles the same so it's there's not that distinct personality like I think there was in the 70s and 80s
2: well just speaking along those lines and just taking it one step further as we're going to go next in this is back in your era both you guys you can both answer this too is the players place themselves and even the player who stepped over the line or has done something he knew he was going to get a beating at some time to keep things in line and keep things placed the right way would you like to see a little more accountability along those lines come back into the game because it seems to be missing and it seems to lead to more headshots, cheap shots, hits from behind and all that kind of stuff and that really wasn't as prevalent in your day.
1: Well, it's it it, it isn't you don't have to be tough to run around and be a checking forward today. So if I want to run around and hit guys and 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 I don't have to stick up for it. In in my day it was it, right. it, you know I got in half my fights cuz I'd hit Mark Howe and I said well somebody's coming it's either Dave Brown or Rick Talk and if I don't want to fight they're fighting me anyway there, there, there is no and and the ref would come over and say well you started it you hit Mark Howe and you you know so a lot of the times I would police myself how I played so if I played in a on a road trip and I was in Chicago and you fought Ben Wilson and the next night you're in Minnesota and you might have fought really Plett, and now you're you're going into Philly, and, and you know what? I'm not going to run around tonight because my face is sore and my hands are sore, and, and I don't want to get in a fight with anybody tonight just because of how my body feels. And so I would have changed that game three a little bit how I played because I didn't want to start stuff because of how I was feeling at the time. So, you're yes, the, 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 when the players police themselves, um, if you wanted to run around, but as long as you stuck up for yourself, you were allowed to do it. But if you weren't going to stick up for yourself, there was players on the ice that would take liberties and say, I don't care if you're fighting or not, you're not going to be hitting our best players. And and, and that's kind of how the players did it. And the league wanted to police it. They didn't want the players, which is fine. But but now you've got players that are, are playing, which sometimes takes away from the skill of the game. You've got your best skilled players today, and they're getting hit by guys that aren't very skilled, but they don't have to stick up for what they did. And, and, and really you're hindering your skill guys more uh, because nobody can stop them from doing it. So, uh, you know, in our leaf lineup, they, we, they can take liberties on our guys and there's nothing they can do about it. Um, and, and, and so now you can stop, you know, Wayne Gretzky was really good for a lot of years. Danny Savard had L.C. Cord on the wing, you know, like it's, it's uh, a lot of guys You got a little room on the ice, and as long as they, you know, looked after yourself, and, and usually on mo- most tough guys on every team, they, they were your most polite guys on the ice. They weren't going out to do something to somebody that didn't deserve it or didn't they, – they, they were basically making sure that the game stayed uh, safe for their teammates.
0: Great. See, well, first of all, I was smart. I didn't, I didn't hit Marcal or some of those guys, because I knew that those guys were coming after me, and of course, playing in Toronto when I was there, I mean, Wendell was probably the only tough guy we had. I mean, we had Jim Korn, um, but he, you know, we didn't really have, the, the, the whole division, each team had four or five tough guys, and we didn't. We, we literally did not have four or five tough guys, and uh, so... I mean, you're playing those games. You, you're, I'm not going around hitting their best players. I mean, I may bump them or, or whatever, but uh, I'm not going to allow our team to get into a brawl if it's not necessary, because we didn't have the toughness those other teams had.
2: Well, you know, um, Wendley, you touched on the slightly there with the Leafs, and uh, I mean, there's a perfect example with this hockey club you have here in Toronto that was uh, loaded on almost an embarrassment of riches for talent and skill yet you've had to give some of that up to get more brawn because it's skill over brawn and at least skill-wise, and you've got to add more brawn so they can be competitive to move forward. So just based on those lines, I mean, your, your thoughts are exactly right. But what do you think of this version of the Maple Leafs now as we sit here?
1: Uh, well, it's going wait and see. We're all in this holding pattern. Um, I know we added some pretty old players, but it may work out in our favor because it's a lockout year. It's not going to be a long 80-game season for uh, the players that are older. Uh, I know they added some experience. You know, their uh, their hands were tied with the budgets they have. They couldn't go out and get a lot of guys. So I think they wanted to add character. Uh, and the cheapest way to do that was get a lot of these character guys, uh, put them in the room. It's really our same lineup has to go and do it. Our young guys have to take uh, take the team. It's their team. Uh, but they were given some older players that that have been there, done it, know how to do it. And I think they're hoping that they can rub off some of their personality and. And how they carry themselves night in, night out, and I, I think that's the learning curve that uh, uh, Kyle and, and Brendan want is is by bringing those guys in the dressing room that hopefully they learn from uh, that maturity of those guys that are basically you know definitely Thortz as a Hall of Famer and how he's carried himself. So I, I think they're they're looking for the, the guys not to they're not leading us on the ice, but they're they're going to be leadership in the dressing room and probably quiet leadership because you still want our leaders. Your best players, no matter what era that wins the Cup, other than the 67 Leafs, every team that's won the Cup, whether it be Montreal and their runs, Edmonton, Islanders, mm-hmm. your best players are always 22 to 28, maybe up to 32. But really, your core team yep. is in that late 20s to early 20s. And that's when you're the strongest, you're the best, you're mature, you're not old, you're still young. And, and your core team, if you look at Tampa – you know, Stamkos was the older guy at 30, but it was the younger part of that lineup that was carried Tampa through it. And, and not being young, they're 25, 26, 27. So our team is just getting to that now, in that 23 years of age and older. And and so it's it's time for them to to take it. And I think uh, Dubas and Shandy know that 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 it's time for these guys. Uh, it's their time, but they're just giving them some great sounding boards in the dressing room uh, for confidence.
0: I I think probably, uh, you know, perfectly said. I think, you know, I mean, how much are these older guys that they brought in, are they going to be playing a big part in the team winning as far as on the ice, as like Wendell said? I think it's more uh, to have that, that leadership from guys that have kind of been around for a long time and show these guys exactly what they need to do in order to get over that hump. That they haven't been able to, and uh, and I think you're right, Wendell. Uh, I mean, it's time for the young guys to take this team over and uh, get the job done. Now, um,
2: let's let's uh, let's play sort of a little bit of uh, I Dream a Genie here. We'll go back and maybe get the wish bottle, and so we can change something. Maybe on both of you, but I'm going to eat you two in this one. So I'm not just going to pick on Wendell here. But maybe besides the Kerry Fraser non-call on Gretzky. If you could go back and change a moment in your career, Wendell, what would uh, that be if it could swing the pendulum the other way? But I'm to move the Leafs. Uh, no, it, you know, if you swing the
1: pendulum, um, it, it, hockey was the last team to get good medical attention as far as all the pro sports. And and Rick would have done it. I watched Rick do it as well. Yeah. And watched. I wasn't the only player, but. We played through a lot of injuries that we shouldn't have been practicing. Maybe you take a day off here and then you're healthier down the road. And we, we I played through a lot of stuff and it's, and I wasn't the only one. Everybody did. It. You didn't want to miss it. You didn't have this, the same doctors and training staff that you do in today's game. Hockey, hockey out of all the big sports was last to get that uh, high-end medical attention. And, and there's probably a lot of days when I watch the players today, the amount of time they say, no, I, I'm bumped and bruised. I'm not practicing today. We're. We, we were practicing an hour and a half every day. didn't matter how you felt. Uh, and, and that probably how I looked after myself that way. But it, it's, it's a lot of times it's got to come from above you because the player is always going to say, I, I'm going, if they're not saying you can't go, I, you know, you're always trying to prove you can play. And I think we all played through stuff that, that maybe uh, hurt you down the road. Like we, we played with broken hands and today you don't play with a broken finger. You, you rest it and get healthy. We're, we, we still put the gloves on. I know you look at any of the old guys, whether it be Bobby Hall or uh, th- their, their fingers were all crooked. They never stopped and got them fixed. That, that was broken and they just end up playing through that. And, and that was just the era. And I think that was a big thing. And I wouldn't have maybe had as many long injuries had I looked after myself that way better. But, I think,
0: you know what? Uh, honestly, I think probably for me, it would be the same uh, because I went through at the end of my career in particular, some injuries that were, you know, pretty bad, but weren't looked after properly. The doctors didn't diagnose them properly and so on. Now they have like a science team that actually will go to the coach and say, this guy needs a day off. He's he's wearing down a little bit. And, you know, had we had that in our day, I mean, I'm pretty sure that myself and I'm sure Wendell would feel a hell of a lot better today uh, because we would have got the proper medical uh, attention and the proper days off and so on and so forth. Like, I mean, a guy gets injured now and you know whatever, uh, just sprains a wrist or something. I mean, he probably doesn't practice for three or four days and uh, which gives that hot time to heal, which we didn't have. But we didn't have the luxury, yeah. I mean, of being able to do that because like Wendell said, you, you Practice is on, and then the only way you're getting out of it is if your leg busted or you had surgery or something. Other than that, if you got a broken finger, you're practicing.
2: Well, it's funny you mentioned that, Story, because I happen you guys both mentioned that because today I happened to be reading coincidentally a story on Sid Smith and playing for the Leafs back in the Smythe days. He got hurt in a playoff game, his knee, and hurt it really bad. And the doctor was looking at him and Smith came in a room and or Smythe came in a room and was standing over him and he said, freeze it. And the doctor said, no, no, this one's beyond that. He's, he, he needs medical help. Freeze it. Send him back out. Anyway, he got in a fight with the doctor, sent him in the ice, and Smith was hurt and out for a long time after that. And the doctor quit at the end of the season and nothing came of it. And then Smith was actually let go. So, you know, this is the the era, like, you, you guys touched on it. It goes right back to that time. So it's, 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 it really was something. Now, Squid, I thought you would have said maybe sleeping in, maybe for a practice, might have been your regret to us one time.
0: Well, that, yeah, that would have been one regret. I only have, like, five regrets. like so can count them on one hand. That was one of them.
2: Yeah, okay. So I, of- I, I, I
0: thought you were kind of alluding to what we would like to see changed in our day that they have today. That's why I brought that up.
2: Well, yeah. Okay. So now the, uh, now the other one is Wendell, like the family you touched on your family connections, Joey Kocher and, uh, Barry, Barry Melrose. Now there was word at one time and I'll give you a chance to defend yourself here that they would always like to have Kocher on the ice with you when you played the Red Wings. Cause they think you might ease up a little bit and not go quite as hard in your cousin, but I would suggest that's not your character.
1: Uh, no, they pretty much played the same, but that happened in 87. They, they put yeah. Joey on, uh, playing and, uh, we, we just, but I wasn't fighting Probert in the playoffs then either. So, but, it, but Joey uh, could play hockey. It, you know, he proved it winning. I think he's won four Stanley Cups or three Stanley Cups playing and coaching. But uh, we played hard, but it wasn't, uh, we weren't the Sutter family. So because we come from the same town, we weren't going to be fighting uh, on each other. And I wouldn't be intimidating Joey in, in any form uh, because he was as good or better than anybody at it at what he did. So, um, it's just one of those things. We are—we uh, we all came from Calvington, the Merrows, the Coaches, the Clarks. We're all, we're all related through marriage. You know, in a small town, we're all touching somewhere along the way. But, uh, no, it was uh, it was just a, a great rivalry. My first time in Detroit, a little story about Joey. Yep. Joey invited me out for dinner before the game. On, uh, I guess we played there Friday, so Thursday we'd go in, and Joey invites me out for dinner. And that, his roommate at the time, he didn't tell me, and I didn't know anything about it, was Bob Probert. Jeez. So that night I'm meeting with, with Bob Probert who ended up fighting about eight times the rest of my career, but it's uh, just one of those things, that the people you meet and, and uh, it, it's, it's one of the greatest things about our game of hockey, no matter how we all play, uh, we got to do a lot of charity and alumni stuff post-regular post, post regular season. It's, it's great seeing all the characters on the different teams. And we all have the same things in common. You may have not got along on the ice then, uh, but we're thick as thieves. In alumni stuff, because we all, we all live the same life.
2: Hey, uh, Squid. now you want to get touch on another sport that Wendell's family played. Well, I know. did. I wanted to talk about it. I saw it
0: on TSN, and I was, I was like, wow, I don't know if I'd ever want to play against those guys, but your fastball team, probably one of the toughest fastball teams that I've ever seen in my entire life. All you farm guys from Calvington and the surrounding areas. I looked at that lineup and I said, ooh. You might get a hit, but you may not get home. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you, <laughs> no.
1: there was, if you didn't have 200 penalty minutes, you weren't allowed to play in our <laughs> basketball team. I think that, that was it. The only guy that didn't have penalty minutes was our was our pitcher. But uh, everybody else from Barry Melrose, like Barry Melrose was the catcher. Joey Kosher played third. I was third or pitcher. I was the shortstop or pitcher. And uh, Kelly Chase was field. Kerry Clark was field. Corey Kosher was field. Trent Yanni played. Trent Yanni probably had the fewest penalty minutes who was on that team.
2: You probably what did you have? Like 15 no hitters? Nobody wanted to go and <laughs> base. It, it.
1: We weren't known for speed, but everybody always ran just one yard inside the baseline.
2: <laughs> now um, we're, we wanna even ta- we've taken up a lot of your time. We want to thank you for that, but just a couple of a couple minutes left here. Um, you ever consider taking a coaching role?
1: Uh probably earlier on, but uh, your my kids were young at the time, and if I was to do it, you're you got to win. If you if you're gonna coach and do really well at it at the highest level, even, even more now than any you you got to be committed. You're away from home, and you're you're because you're the guys you're coaching against are in there, and and so I think we'd all love to do it. I think I'd love to be. That's the closest thing to playing is coaching, but but you're you're in. You can't do it part time and do it well, and that's that's a big. Uh, the big difference is probably why we didn 't do it when I had kids and and the other thing with coaching you know you 're fired every three years. you may start in the place you like, but you, you start out in the NHL then you 're in peterborough then you're uh, then you 're in Saginaw and then you 're back up in the NHL then you 're down in Hershey or something so you're you're all over it and, and so a lot of us didn 't want to be
0: moving as much again well I, I ended up coaching after I finished playing and Started in the East Coast League in Charleston, South Carolina, which was a beautiful place to coach, especially, because nobody knew what the hell you were doing. If you made a mistake, they didn't know. So I learned a lot, and it was great. I really enjoyed it. Um, But when I look at today's coaches, because I go in and meet some of them, the guys I played against and so on that I knew well or played with that are coaching in the NHL, so when I go down to a game, I can't believe how much work they have to do now. Like everybody's got their own computer. They got to go, I mean, they got to go back to the hotel and probably do a couple hours work on the computer in their, in their room. And I, and I would go to practice, blow the whistle, go in, do a few things in my office, leave and go to the golf course. So I don't know. I, it, it's an awful lot of work uh, when, I, when I watch these guys. So
2: now, Squid, so anything else for we before we let him go? He's probably got some more grass to cut.
0: You,
1: <laughs> Don't I still do got, it was I, I still got sunlight here <laughs>
0: yeah, very well you do for probably about another 40 minutes or so and then uh, then it'll be gone but uh, no I, I just like I said I I love playing with Wendell when he came into Toronto it was a breath of fresh air for all of us uh, because we didn't have guys that many guys that played like Wendell and uh, I enjoyed it enjoyed our time together as uh, teammates i love the madison avenue pub with them and we had a lot of good times we we had fun that was the thing we loved the game we played the game hard but we had a lot of fun together as teammates and i i that's one of the things that i i recall about wendell is that we did have a great time
2: fantastic well wendell yeah. listen
0: uh oh you, you want to no
2: a, no I just say uh, yeah, no
1: thanks and uh, no like, like like for me uh, playing with Rick starting I, I you'd never say it or, or, or do it at the time when you're a kid but remember I come here as a defenseman got moved to wing yeah and probably one of the best wingers that I played with uh, Ricky was on on the right wing so I had to we didn't get coached the position like today you you had to learn it by watching and so I did a lot of my time watching uh, Ricky uh, how he played in his own end, what he did on the boards, how he went to the net, how he took punishment to score goals. And so, you know, the, that's how players learn the most. Uh, it, it isn't about the coaching a lot of times. Is it, You tell kids, I tell my son, I said you got to watch players play. And it's not that you're ever going to be exactly like them. Mm-hmm. But you got to take some of the things and what makes them good. And Rick was probably one of the best guys on the boards, getting the puck out in traffic with guys – coming down hard, be able to deflect the puck or uh, control the puck and, and, and stuff. So I learned a lot. And, and, and you, don't, you don't say it or do it. You're just you're, – you're living it and, and you, as you learn the game. And, and so – and like Rick said, we, we had a lot of fun playing. We, we weren't a, a great team. We did some winning in the playoffs, but uh, we had a lot of fun playing
2: the game. Well, that's <laughs> fantastic, yeah. And uh, anyway, I just want to say, uh, Rick, uh, you know, again, good having you guys reconnect. Wendell, a pleasure having you. Uh, You know, again, you were, you won the hearts of Toronto fans. It didn't take long. I think probably the first time you dropped your gloves, I think right away, that's what the Toronto, they just bought right in, believe me. And you were, you were just uh, put on a pedestal and that's never come off. And again, you do great work on the alumni side. You give back to the community. So I know people recognize that. It's fantastic, Rick. You're the same. So I think that's what the the fans really do appreciate. So again, Wendell, I want to thank you for joining us today. And, Good luck with all the weather up there and getting all your chores done. Well done, Thank you, guys. Take care. Thanks, well, Wendell. Thank well, Squid, the uh, hockey gods are looking after us again. We had another fantastic guest, Wendell Clark. They just don't come any better, do they?
0: Well, not to me anyway. I mean, I, I got to see him from an 18-year-old and grow into a man. And I got to tell you, there was probably no better teammate that I ever had than Wendell, as far as the way he played way he was off the ice and you know how friendly we got as as teammates and uh fantastic individual uh, great person and uh played the game the way i loved watching it played
2: well as the, as the phrase goes he played the game the right way and yeah. uh, he, there's no no flies in him as they like to say because <laughs> he played the right way and again that it's funny he touched on that um story about hitting Markell because I was at that game when he did that and he fought Rick Tockett and I was sitting with Tox brother <laughs> for that game and that still to this day was one of the best fights I think I've ever seen at the gardens was that fight and I'm the sure I part that I did part one. Well, the funniest part is is about a few months later the two of them were almost rooming together and trying out for Team Canada <laughs> to play golf together. But you know the, hey, way the. But that was
0: the way the game was, Mike, as uh, and I and I think he uh, Wendell touched on it as well. You know the guys on the other team were all great guys, but when you're on the ice, that was your livelihood and that was your job, and you played the game the way you had to to win. And whether that was fighting a guy that you knew, that was just the way it is. And then in the summertime, you'd meet up somewhere along the way and have a couple of beer and, and, and have a good time together because they were all great guys.
2: Yeah. And you can see it. I mean, you know, and, I mean, and, and in fights like that, you know, if a player slipped, the other guy wouldn't take a cheap shot. Yeah. I mean, there, there was just that level of respect for what they did and why they were doing it. And again, there's some of that missing from the game today as he mentioned with guys being able to run around with no accountability. But again, that's something that yeah. Utah has to deal with. But on that note, I think that's uh, another successful show for us with a great guest. Uh, again, we want to thank one again for joining us. Uh, we do want to thank our friends at the Hockey News for keeping us going here again today. And the Hockey News established in 1947 gives you all things pertaining to hockey that when any story breaks around the world, just go to the Hockey News, uh, thn.com slash deal uh, for your best description to the Hockey News. Look anytime, look us up. We're on Squid and Ultimate Leaf Fan on um, Twitter Look us up on, Ult- on Ultimately Fan on Facebook or on uh, Instagram, Rick Vibe, on Twitter or Instagram. Listen, guys, it's been a great again. Uh, looking forward to talking to you again next week. Everybody have a great week.